0: All right, all right. Hey, listen, uh, welcome to week two of In the Game. Uh, glad that you're here with us. Um, hopefully, you're back with us. Uh, if you were here last week, that would be helpful. And if you're brand new, welcome. We're glad that you're here. And if you're tuning in on- online, I'm glad that you're with us as well. But listen, this football-themed series, that's what the tailgate's about. That's what you know, the little audio clip was about. And um, it's called In the Game. And it, we're, we're talking about community and uh, as we said last week, we won't be very clear with our intention. Our hope is that, uh, that this kind of challenges you and encourages you to take a next step to get in the game, to get connected in community. And we laid out all kinds of ways to do that. But one specific that we're like kind of keying in on through this series is life groups. And so just so you know, right after church today, right after we break this huddle right here, I'm going to pray in about, I don't know, 28 minutes from now. Don't start. Don't start doing it. But I'm going to pray in just a moment, and uh, and we're going to break this huddle, and I'm going to encourage you. If you have kids, go get them. I need to grab mine. And then uh, to head right out to a blue tent, if you haven't already, and, and to go like, take a step to sign up to join a life group. And, and let me just walk through that process last week, uh, because man, we are so excited about that. The last two years, we've kind of hit pause, hit time out on a lot of different ministries because of all the restrictions, all that kind of stuff. So right now, man, this, this fall, we're excited about this initiative, really pushing life groups and breathing life into some of them and starting many, many more and um, right now there's over 80 families, 80 Northeast families who are going to be involved with life groups. who have already said, yeah, like I'm in, I'm, I'm ready for this. And so, hey, if, if, if you're still thinking about it, let me walk you through the process, what this looks like. So when we talk about go sign up, some of you are like, Ugh. <laughs> okay, so if I go, like, what does that mean? Here's what it is. You're going to go and you'll scan a QR code or you'll go to ncclex.org slash lifegroups. Okay, and you can do that right now. I'd, I'd like if you pay attention, but you could do that right now. And you can go and you can, you can fill out a life group interest form. And so you give some basic information and then you provide, hey, well, hey, what days and, and times kind of work for you? You're looking for a group with kids and, and the kind of location. And so um, what we want to do though, we want to intentionally leverage existing relationships. So there's a comment section some of you have already done this. You did it last week. Uh, If there's like another family, you're like, man, we would love to do this together. You can just put that in the comments. We'll do our very, very best as we construct and and create new life groups to honor many of those. And then, um, but here's what we'll we'll use. We'll use kind of stage of life and location as we create new groups. Okay. And so several new groups are going to be launching right here in this community and then kind of all around Lexington, Winchester and Georgetown, all that kind of stuff. And so um, that's it. it the, the very first step, when you go and you sign up, you're filling out that interest form that over the next couple of weeks will be in touch. And the idea is that we're able to start as many of these groups back up in October with our next series called Reclaim. All right, that's a study through the book of Ezra. You can go ahead and get a head start. Um, again, maybe not right now, but um, that's what's coming. All right, and so you're, you're gonna be hearing more and more about that and, and as we take those steps. And so again, a life group, it's not a commitment for life but it's a commitment to do life together in this season, okay? Four to six family units who commit uh, through a year at a time. And so just say, hey, this fall and spring, and then we're gonna assess in the summer. And that's kind of how we approach that. And so I will say, if you did miss last week for whatever reason, maybe this is your first time, again, welcome, glad you're here. If you missed last week, if you're connected with Northeast, I do encourage you to go check it out because we really laid a lot of the groundwork and vision for life groups, what they look like, a lot of the practical stuff. And so that was called the huddle. Today's the action. But speaking of huddles, for just a moment, I want to paint like a word picture for you. I want you to think about what if what if football was just a huddle, right? I heard Micah ask earlier, he's like, hey, what's your favorite season? And many of you said fall, and I would almost agree. I would say my favorite season is football, right? And some of you do, you, you agree with me. But think about if football was just a huddle, if it was just a weekend gathering of the minds, right, gathering to talk about playing, but you never actually move beyond that, right? If it never involved actually snapping the ball or running a play or moving the chains or scoring touchdowns or putting points on the board, like you'd be hard-pressed to call that a game, right? Right? You'd be hard-pressed to call that a game, but but how often do we reduce and concede Christianity to just that, right? Well, I think about it. On Sunday mornings, and, and here you go, Sunday mornings, many... Christians, I'll include myself in this, like many of us, what we do, we kind of wake up and we think, okay, it's Sunday again, and so we kind of get ready in our own individual locker rooms, right? Some are in homes and neighborhoods, some are in apartment buildings and complexes, but we would get ready in our individual locker rooms, and we're suited up in our nice, clean, pressed uniform, some contemporary and some traditional, right? And, and then we make our, our way, we start making our way to the stadium right? And this stadium happens to be at 990 Starship, but there's stadiums kind of all over the city, right? Stadiums way out, small stadiums, you got really big stadiums, you got multi-stadiums, all this kind of stuff, but we make our way there. And then how many of us, and I've done this, you begin on your way, you start getting like your game face on. So you begin to, to compartmentalize the realness and the rawness of life so that you can go play for 60 minutes, right? And then, so we make our way to the stadium, and literally, there's like a tailgate going on here today. Not always, but there is this weekend. But, but you show up, you start seeing one another, maybe some high fives, fist bumps, waves, whatever that is. Um, but, but sometimes, we even do this, we trash talk other teams, right? Like sometimes we, we do that. We trash talk other teams. Maybe the, the one down this street or over there, what they're doing, they're like, man, they're, they're too far this way and they're too far this way. And so we start trash talking some of the other teams, but then we converge on this place, right? And we're ready. Some of us, we're, 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 we're injured. We come, we're limping in and that's very, very real. Like maybe it's physical, maybe it's, you've got something going on. We all do, but, but, but like we get ready for it again and we strike up the pet band, Right? And we start singing some of our favorite fight songs. Yeah, like I was getting amped up. Dude, that new one, I'm like, let's go. Speak Jesus, let's go, right? So I'm getting amped up about it. And we don't go all the way to like, north, east, north, right? We don't do that. But we sing these pep songs. And and we get fired up and we feel this connection and and we, we hear the passion and then we open up the playbook. And we talk X's and O's, right? And we start planning and strategizing and and we start like, like dreaming and we get excited about it. And then we break the holy huddle. Only for many of us to go right back to our own individual locker rooms and wait until Sunday to get our uniforms back out, right? To play another game in church. Listen, that is a cheap imitation of the calling that Christ has for his followers, like if we reduce the abundant life to only what happens inside of our sanctuaries and our worship centers, then we've missed the point, right? The game is not actually played in the huddle. And while the huddle is absolutely crucial, action is undoubtedly vital. Like, like, like we, we need them both. It's a, a both and. It's not an either or yes, we need to gather, but we absolutely must scatter, That is part of the call that Jesus gave. You see, huddles were made to be broken. Now, if you're a football fan, you understand that language. That's what it's called when when they they gather up and they break the huddle. They disperse. And, you, you know, I resonate with this depiction from author Ronnie McBrayer as he describes the church in this way. Listen to these words. He's talking about the church. He says, you know, our weekly gatherings are more like locker room speeches There are weight rooms that strengthen our spiritual muscles. There are rehab facilities in which we can get healthy. There are nutritional centers to feed our hungry bellies. But when our muscles are strong, our wounds are bandaged, our appetite sated and our motivation roused, we have to leave the huddle and get out there on the field where the game is actually played, where people are hungry, thirsty, naked, sick, abandoned and mistreated, where people are hurt, confused and need a friendship, love and redemption. That is the field of play for people of faith. You see, church, that, outside of the huddle, that is where the words spoken inside of the gathering are translated into action out on the field, out on the turf. But what's that look like in the context of life groups to move beyond huddles and into doing life together as a team, as a community of believers? That's what we're unpacking, the action. Because yes, we need to huddle. Yes, we need to gather, but we must scatter. And we must do so still united as a team. And so again, as we said last week, we were created in and for relationship. That, That while your relationship with Jesus is personal, yes, it's not meant to be private. It's meant to be done and explored and grown in the context of relationship with other people. And so we were created to be in relationship with God first and then with one another. And Jesus details this very, very clearly in a response to a group of religious leaders. This is something many of you here, we teach this in the rock. We teach it to our elementary kids. My, My kids have heard this. You probably have too. But Jesus was asked a question. He was asked a question to trip him up. He was asked by these Pharisees, what's the greatest commandment? Right? Because they thought they could kind of trap him here. And Jesus replied to this. He said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. So start he starts here, he says, it's God first. It's God first. With everything you've got. And he lists some, some ideas so that they begin to understand it. It's a holistic love for God. It's everything you have. It's not compartmentalized. Right. This is all in with, with all of your heart, all of your soul, with all of your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. God first. Then he continues. The second is like it. They didn't ask for number two, right? They would have been okay with this, but doesn't Jesus have a way of saying, hey, I want to take you with what you're comfortable with, and then I want to push you further? And that's what he does right here. He says, the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. So he said, it's God first, to love God with all you've got, God first, and then one another. Then one another. And then a short time later, one of Jesus' other disciples, name is John. He's one of his best friends. All right, it's called, called the Beloved. Like they had a tight relationship, and John got to experience some of the things with a few others that no one else did. And I'm so grateful that John recorded so much of it. And so John, he shares this in, in chapter 13 of, of his account of Jesus' life and ministry. And, um, and he records these words that, that Jesus, he says, okay, you're to love God, love one another, but then like, here's, here's how you do it, Okay. And so Jesus says these words. He says, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So he says, by this, everyone will know you are my disciples if you love one another. So we're starting to see this theme, this one another theme here. The verse, the sentence, the, 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 the words that predicated this. He said, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And so he's going right back to that. He says, hey, I I want you to love one another. And then by this, this is how you prove it. This is how the world is going to know that you're with me, that that, that you are a follower, that you are a disciple if you do it. He says, so I want to lay out the greatest command. The second is like it. And then this is how people are going to know that you are a follower of Jesus, that you are a Christian, that I am in you if you love one another. He's saying, this is the marker. This is what will set you apart. This is like the patch on your uniform. This is what people will look at and say, oh, I I know to associate that person with Jesus because they love other people. But but listen, the larger context of this, some of you remember this right here. Um, Jesus said these words, right? Jesus said these words right after he washed his disciples' feet. Okay, so he had just showed them love. All right, we got to connect this. So Jesus, he just washed his disciples' feet. He, he showed them. Some of them were hesitant, right? And he was like, hey, hey, listen, I'm, I have to do that. And he's showing them what love looks like. And then he says these words. This is how people will know you're with me if you love one another, if you do as I do, if you get on your knees in the muck and the mud and you lean in and you meet needs and you love one. One another. So this was just ap- after he washed their feet, he showed them love, but it was just before Jesus would go to the cross where he would prove his love. And so in a way, this is kind of a halftime speech they didn't even realize in the moment. Th- that he's saying, hey, th- this is how you show it. I'm gonna, I- I'm gonna uh, illustrate this. I'm going to physically act this out. I'm going to serve you and in have... That- Tell you, now you are to love one another. This is how the world's gonna know you're with me because you love other people like this. And just hours later, he was gonna prove it by giving his life for them and all of us by going to the cross, this ultimate act of love where he would lay down everything, where he would stand in the gap that every single one of us, because of brokenness and sin in our life, we've, we've been separated from God. But Jesus steps into the gap, not to just coach us, but to actually play the game and to win it once and for all. And that by us having faith in him, saying like, Jesus, I I submit to you as Lord and Savior. I I want you to be the shot caller of my life. I don't wanna do this anymore. I I can't do this anymore. I want you to save me. God, like I know I've got sin in my life. Would you forgive me? That's making him Lord and Savior. And by, by placing your faith in Jesus, you too get to share in the victory over sin and death once and forever. Okay, and so that's what Jesus did in that moment. He showed us what love does. Love acts. Love is a verb. It's designed to be moved into action. And so in this halftime speech, Jesus said, Listen, the world will know you are mine if you love one another like this. And he pushed it even further. And listen, friends, I'm convinced, because like I look around here, we're worshiping for a moment a while ago, and I'm looking around, I see people that I know and I care about. People that like I've gotten coffee with this past week, people I've prayed with this morning, people that have called me when, when life is happening. I know, I know because of my own testimony, like I don't have to like hear like, man, Northeast, no, I know there are people here who are loving one another in the name of Jesus, because you're loving me. I hope that I get to love you. And, and I see this happening, this sort of thing, that we're striving to love one another. Like I believe, I believe the best in our church in that regard, that folks who call this place home do love one another. We do not always like one another, but we do. We do strive to love one another. But listen, are we loving one another more often from a safe distance? Like, like, are we loving one another from the sideline where, where we can just like kind of shout it out, but we don't have to really get in there where all the sweat and the dirt and the filth is? Like, like are we loving each other with the stiff arm? Like, does that carry over? Here, does our love for one another, does it carry over outside of the stadium, so to speak? Like, are we spending time with one another? Are we caring for one another, ministering to one another, showing up for one another? Are we investing time outside of this Sunday morning countdown, loving others, navigating struggles like finances, depression, substance abuse, and marital issues together? Or, like me and my college roommate, do many of our relationships completely hinge on the fact we're fans of the same team? Right? Like we could show up and we can dap it out, we can you know, bro hug or whatever, but then peace out, I'm good, not to connect until next week. How many of us are sort of living there? Because I've lived there a long time. Because if every encounter that we have with one another, get this, if every encounter is only an ever at a Northeast sponsored event, then we're leaving relationships on the table, opportunity in the bag, and needs left unmet. We just are. And so I want to encourage you. I don't want to like, I don't, don't want to guilt you. I want to encourage you that there's more here. So to lean in and get connected beyond just the Sunday morning, getting, this is a great first step. This huddle matters so much. We want every single person to come here, know that you're welcome here, but, but we don't want you to just stay here. Because as we said, that circles are better than rows, right? We want you to step out of the row and into community. And that example from Acts chapter two last week, we, we really went into how we unpacked Luke. He detailed how the early believers how the people who got this from the lips of Jesus applied it. They gave us a beautiful blueprint for how to do church. And, and man, sometimes I'm like, could we get back to this, right? right? And, and so they laid it out and they said, hey, the early believers, they were devoted to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to breaking bread, to prayers. Like they were devoted to, to doing all of these things, but they didn't just stop there. Not just the corporate gathering. He, he detailed how they would spend time together. How they would share meals together, oftentimes in homes of one another, and how they would, they would realize and they would see that, that there were no needs among them because they all generously looked out for one another. And, and think about that. Do you know why there were no needs among them? You know why? It, it wasn't because they had a fat bank account for benevolence. No. no, there were no needs because of this. The early believers' lives were so intertwined. They didn't just notice each other's needs, they felt them too. You know how close you have to be to someone to feel their hurt? The, the, the greatest definition I've ever heard of empathy is your hurt in my heart. You know how close you have to be to a teammate to feel their pain? You have to be intentional. You have to lean in, and that's what they did. There were no needs because anytime someone had one, they would feel it, and then they would try to rectify it. They would try to to, to meet the need as quickly as they possibly could. That's loving one another. Yes, the gathering's important. Our huddles are significant and vital to the growth, edification, and spiritual maturation of a Christ follower, but huddles are intended to break. Huddles must break. Break And when huddles break, that's when action begins. And stepping into a life group is stepping into a space where you can know and be known. Where, where connections are made and relationships are forged, where you can have regular opportunities to love another and be loved by others. Like, these are spaces for that to happen. Now, I love this from the book Love Does by, um, by Bob Goff. He wrote this. He said, I used to think God wouldn't talk to me, but now I know I'm just selective with what I choose to hear. Man, how often do I find myself in that? And listen, church, if if we're to live lives that fit into the pages of the New Testament, then we cannot afford to ignore or not hear. We cannot afford to miss the chief, overriding, preeminent, supreme command of Jesus to love one another. And that command that Jesus gave and he would repeat and he would demonstrate and he would prove that command to love one another, it became the call for all Christians through the cadence of Paul's writing. You know, most of the New Testament are letters that Paul wrote, the apostle Paul wrote. And, and this one another theme became like this anthem that would just permeate through each letter. You would see this, this thread woven through all of these letters. I want to kind of paint this picture for you because sometimes we, we see the pages of the book or we swipe through the screen on our phone, but we don't actually see how this played out like geographically, right? I think that's it. So Paul, here's a, a map. I know it's really hard to see. Part of that's intended. It's probably in the back of your Bible as well, but this is a map of all four of Paul's missionary journeys. We're going to highlight some things to make it a little bit Uh, more clear. But but Paul, before he was Paul, he was Saul. And Saul was from this place called Tarsus. Show that next one. So so Saul, he's from here. He's born and he's raised in this prominent Jewish family with this rich heritage. And Saul, eventually he makes his way to Jerusalem to study from and among the finest thought leaders of the day. And so he studies Jewish culture and history and and law, and and he studies all of this, and he gives his life to it. Okay, so, so he, he completely gives his life to it. He has good intentions. And we have to get this, that you can have good intentions but still be wrong. And, and if you have good intentions but you're wrong, you're still wrong, right? And that was Saul. Saul had good intentions to preserve what he felt was, was what God was calling him to. He was just, he missed the mark because he missed Jesus. And so Saul, one day, he's on the road to Damascus, which is right in here, just north here of Jerusalem. He's on his way there and he has this, this rich unbelievable encounter with Christ. He has this transformation and Jesus changes him. You see, you see, Saul was trying to stop this wave of hope in the name of Jesus. He was trying to stop Christianity before it could really begin. And then Jesus said, you know what? I'm going to use this guy. He even says, he's my chosen instrument. You know what instruments do, right? They're used for a specific purpose, But then there's also another definition. I love this. When you just think about it, this isn't like the transliteration or anything like that, but the way that we think of an instrument, they're used to make noise, right? And and so so Paul wouldn't just be used for a specific purpose, though he was. He would also be used to make a lot of noise in the name of Jesus. And that's what he did. And so he started to, to plant different churches. And so we see how Saul's name changed to Paul. It was a reflection of his conversion from being a Christian killer to a resurrection amplifier. And so he goes on, and he starts planting these churches. He goes on all these journeys, and we start seeing these. You can throw this next one up. You start seeing these places that he goes, and as he goes there, and he spends time, and he gets in the huddle, and he's with them, then he's apart from them, and he's going to write letters to encourage them. And those letters are found in what we call the New Testament and the very pages of the Bible. And so these letters he's writing, and I want to give you a few. I want you to hear this one another theme that Paul's writing to this entire region, okay? And so in his first letter to the church in Thessalonica, right, this is right up here, he's writing, he says, therefore encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you are doing. And then he writes him a second letter, he says, we ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, they're they're right here, okay? We ought to thank God for you because your faith is growing more and more and the love all of you have for one another is increasing. He's saying, I'm seeing it. I want to encourage you, keep going. He's acting as a cheerleader, and he's writing to this church at Thessalonica. It continues, and he writes to this group of churches in this region called Galatia. And he says, you, my brothers and sisters, you were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. And so, so this one another language to this region and this region. Then he writes to the church at Corinth he says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought." See, hey, they had some quarrels happening among their church. And he said, hey, guys, you need to be unified. You need to unify the name of Jesus. And then he kind of does a reply all to them, writes another letter. And I love this. He says, finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice, Strive for full restoration. Encourage one another. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. It's so the saying, keep going. I see the good work. And then to the church at Rome, way up here, it says be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. To the church at Philippi and your relationships with one another. Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus to the church at Ephesus, modern-day Turkey. It says be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ God forgave you. And then finally, to the church in Colossae, he says, bear with with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And, And so Paul's writing this. And he's saying, this is what Jesus said was most important. So I want everyone, everywhere. And he's fulfilling, you remember this, in in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Jesus says, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And as it goes, so does this message that Jesus said was supreme. And Paul is spreading it so everyone everywhere hears this challenge to love God one another, that, that this is how people will know you are a disciple of Jesus if you love one another. And that's what Paul is writing. And listen, that same statement holds true 2,000 years after it was made. And I want you to hear me in this. We do all kinds of incredible things here, all kinds of good work going on. But listen, there is absolutely nothing that will attract people to this church quicker than a visible display of the love of Christ. You hear that? There is nothing. There's no event. There's no like cool series we could do. There's no like invitation. There's no like a mail drop thing, canvassing the neighborhood. Nothing will attract people to this church quicker than loving them like Jesus. Like if Northeast could be only known for one thing, it shouldn't be the quality of this service or our music or our preaching or our ministries or our mission initiatives. It should be our love. That's it. If we can only be known for one thing, let it be that we love like Jesus. You know, there's a saying in sports that goes like this, play for the name on the front of the jersey, not the back. I love this because you have to see that, that the name of the team is on the front. Your own name is on your back. And it's this reminder that, that, that it's about the collective It's not about stuffing the stat sheet with all of your own achievements. No, it's about the the entire group moving forward and enjoying victory together. And listen, as I mentioned last week, for followers of Jesus who've been called to live in community, who've been called to be a part of one body and one team, and who've been commanded to love one another by Jesus and for Jesus and like Jesus, life groups can help. They're not the only way, but they are a good way. And so when we move from gathering to scattering, the ideas we do so as a team. And we've laid this out that we want life groups to do these things on a rhythmic basis, we want them to study, serve, smile and celebrate together. We unpacked that last week. Again, if you missed it, you can go back and hear it. But, but, but we understand that all of this, all of this is just a means to loving one another, to growing in our relationship with Christ as we grow in relationship with Christ followers. And so we have to understand that when life happens, because it does, when turnovers happen, because they do, when fumbles get lost, because they will, we have to understand that when our plans break down, we've, we need others there to help us recover, help us carry the load and help reorient us back to Jesus. That's our need for community. You know, similar to one of my all time favorite football moments that I can only Relive through video and audio because it happened before my time. And, um, and I, I told you this would not just be 30 minutes of me sharing University of Georgia Bulldog highlights, right? But I do have to share one, okay? And so, so this moment that, I, that I'd heard about and I've known about and I've watched over and over, and um, in this moment, it, it happened during Georgia's 1980 National Championship season. Okay, and so the dogs, they were in this heavyweight battle with those lousy, stinking Florida Gators, right? And, um, and so uh, they're in this, this fight. So it's 1980, and the great Herschel Walker, who's one, our best running back ever, he is, he's rushed for over 200 yards at the time, and he's just like played incredible. But with under a minute to go, on third down from our own eight-yard line, we're losing this game. We needed something big to happen. And then this is the play that ensued. Check it out. May not switch. they won't buck back third down on the eight in trouble got a block behind him then a throw on a run complete to the 25 to the 30 lindsey got 35 30. lindsey got 45 50 45 40 one lindsey 25 20 50 10 5 lindsey scott lindsey scott lindsey scott blue to scott 92 yards dogs 26 gators 21 paving the path to 1980s national title well if you want a miracle. We just got one. Run, Lindsey, run. All right. And so the great Larry Munson, he, he was calling that game. It's just become an iconic moment, OK? And, and here's, here's what I love about that moment. Yes, I'm a big Georgia fan, but here's what I love. I, I've, got this, I've got this picture. I know it might be hard for you to see, but I've got this picture. I'll go around just like you know, kindergarten to kind of let you check it out. But this hangs in my office, and this picture here, it's a depiction of that play. All right, it says, run, Lindsay, run. And it kind of shows that the quarterback, he, he, he gets the snap, okay? But then, then what happens next was not what they planned. This is not what they drew up in the huddle. This is not what they all rallied around and said, yes, this is what's going to happen. No, they had other plans, But those plans broke down because the guy on this side, the left tackle, he lost containment, a guy breaks through, so the quarterback has to be flushed out. He has to move or he's gonna be sat, right? They're 92 yards from the end zone. This is on third down in closing seconds of the game. So he's flushed out, he has to roll out and improvise. Because that's what you have to do when your plans break down, right? And so he rolls out and then he looks back across the middle and because Lindsey Scott was doing all he could do, and the quarterback was doing all he could do, then we see this play come to fruition where he throws back across the field. Lindsey Scott gets it, and then run, Lindsey, run. Georgia wins. They beat those lousy, stinking Gators and go on to win the national championship that year. And it, but, but I love that picture. It hangs in my office because it reminds me, man, when my plans break down, that's got something way better right? Like if I could trust him, if I could position myself to be a part of what he's doing, I don't always understand it. I don't always even see it. I don't get to go celebrate immediately like that, but but I have to trust that when my plans break down and I look around and there's people who are in position to step up and to stand in the gap because we're in this together, that's when I begin to realize that God can do something way better than I ever asked, dreamed, or imagined that he could do. Right, Because you see, you see, when, when, when our plans fall short, we need some people to stand in the gap. And, and we say this from time to time. We want to build bridges of trust that can eventually support truth. Does that make sense? We want to build bridges of trust in relationship that can eventually support truth. But bridges of trust that can also support the heartache of another in your group when they find out they've lost their job. It's like our group several years ago when some of our best, closest friends, family friends, or their kids were friends with our kids and, and, and uh, the husband lost his job. He's gonna have to move, right? And he has since moved three times from that. That was a really hard thing, but our group, we leaned in and rallied around this family. We felt their hurt, right? We want bridges that can support the weight of, of late night, anxiety-ridden conversation about the struggles of parenting, Man, cause we're in this together, right? This is hard. We show up, we got the game face on, we've compartmentalized, you know, all the screaming and yelling on the way to church, what happened Saturday night so we can come in here. Let's don't just play for 60 minutes and leave. But because I've seen this, I've seen my wife take walks around the neighborhood just listening, just listening to friends, people we're in in groups with, doing life together, just pouring their hearts out, just being there, leaning in. Want bridges that can support the addition of kids in your home so that a married couple in your group can go on a guilt-free date for the first time in years, right? Like, I get this. We've been on both sides of this equation. It's hard. It's hard to find time, to carve out time, protect time for you married couples We get that. That's one of the ways that groups can help. Groups can help you grow in your relationship to God and one another and each other by standing up and stepping in the gap for when you need them. You know, we want, we want a bridge that can support the quivering cheek of a group member sobbing over the loss of a loved one. You, you know, it's like when we stood in that receiving line in, in a place similar to this and we were standing beside my nephew's shoebox-sized casket and we're waiting there and we just see, it's a sea of people, a sea of people, and then, and then we see our people people we were doing life with, people who were in our group, people who, who, who could, could feel our pain, who had empathy welling up in their eyes, people making their way to us, people helping us recover. We right? had a bridge that can support new parents in your group through a meal train or surprise diaper day where everyone in the group shows up with a pack of pampers. Right? L- listen, if food breaks down barriers, Monty says that, then food in chaos moves mountains. I believe that. I've seen that. I tell you what Joe Ellis can do when you're going through some stuff, I get it. Listen, and, and new parents, they vastly underestimate how many diapers they need, right? right? Listen, these are just examples from, from some of the groups I've been in and the stage of life that I'm in is gonna look different than yours. You might have experiences and stories that you can share, some that you're going to experience. to be nothing like mine, that's okay. That's okay, we're not called to, to run the same route all the time, right? We're at different phases, different stages in this because listen, this is where action happens, In moments like these, where you're doing real life with real people that you really care about. This is where what was discussed in the huddle gets tested on the gridiron. This is where what was preached not only gets practiced, but is proven. This is what love does. And your bridges, though they'll look different, they're all a part of the same command of loving one another. You see, huddles must continue to meet, but huddles are only beneficial when they break. And so who has the green light to call at 3 a.m. with the confidence that you'll answer and act? And who are you calling when your sky begins to fall? When life happens, who's there to help you recover? Because church, Jesus doesn't want just fans who admire him or stalkers who study him. He wants followers who model their lives after him. Players who break their huddles and move the chains, who act and who react like him. And so listen, in just a moment, just a moment, I'm going to pray us out. And I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you, if you've not taken a step to say like, hey, I'm interested in being a part of a life group where this type of stuff happens on a regular basis. I want to encourage you, when we break here, for you to to walk out of this place. And even if you parked over there, it's a beautiful day for just a little bit of a detour. You can walk right out the front doors. You go to a blue tent. And you scan a QR code. You can go to this website, ncclex.org slash lifegroups. You can read more about it. But I want to encourage you to take the step, fill out the life group interest form. And let's do this. Because we, we, can't, just, we can't just reduce our faith to these gatherings they are important, yes. But we must scatter. And we're designed to do so together. And so I'm gonna pray. I'm gonna pray and nothing else is really going to happen. I'm gonna break this huddle and we're gonna be dismissed to step out of rows and into circles. If you would, let's pray together. Father, we thank you for allowing us to gather in this place. God, so much good happens here. So much gospel is shared here. So much truth is proclaimed here. God, I pray that you lead, guide and direct us as we strive to live out our faith among other believers outside of here. God, may our huddles glorify you, whether they're big like this, or they're small around dinner tables or in coffee shops or on back decks. God, may Northeast Life Groups serve as catalysts for community. God, would you do something way better than anything we could hope for in and through our groups over this next year? God, may more and more and more people join the team, gather for huddles, and be moved to action for the sake and the fame and the honor and the glory of Jesus. Father, we are so grateful for Jesus, grateful for the call he gave us to first love God and then one another. May we do that well. May we do it in community. Father, we pray these things. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.